Hey guys, this is Eddie. A uh, quick note before you listen to this. Um, we had some problems with our recording software, and we were really happy with the discussion, so I tried to salvage as best I can, but uh, my audio in particular is going to sound a little weird during this episode, and I'm sorry about that. The thing about war is, it only works if both sides believe they're the good guys. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Bybee. And today we're going to talk about the end of the Defenders arc, the Defenders Season 1, here on Jean Willis. Welcome to episode six of our third season, where we're wrapping up our look at what we've been calling the Netflix run of Marvel shows. Although recently, as I was watching, I realized nope, the name no. Netflix has been scrubbed from all the Disney Plus stuff, and now it's just ABC Studios. <laughs> if if you look at the notes document, I have redubbed this this arc the of the show. Would you work? Pay attention <laughs> with exclamation point. I, I, I must add, Netverse. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's got to have the ugh to it. And so we're here to talk about the Defenders. Um, and maybe you can tell by the tone of my voice with this, this is going to be a, a, a bit of a slog. There's some fun stuff here, don't get me wrong. But let's start with the 616 breakdown of the Defenders in the fact that the Defenders, just like in the show, are those four iconic characters that we all know the Hulk, Silver Surker, Namor, and Doctor Strange. Because that's the Defenders. <laughs> Not this other four people. Um, the name of Defenders did come about uh, about the late 70s. And some things that the original Defenders does have in common with this show is their the whole shtick was they were the team that wasn't a team. They were, the, they were not a team. That was... Initially, a very interesting concept that they get together occasionally to solve big problems, but then it got really awkward when you have 120 issues and people start going, but we're not really a team, but we have a headquarters and funds and a name, but we're not a team. <laughs> you know? uh, but one of the things that it did do really well, I thought, was it had a much higher turnover in membership than, like, say, the Avengers or the X-Men at the time. Later iterations did that much more fluidly, but this version of it, that you, like, the Hulk just left for several runs of it, even though he's a founding member. Um, and Namor... Much how he did hmm? the Avengers, though. Much how the Hulk did for the Avengers. But true. That's a good point. He's like, I'm out. Uh, Silver Surfer didn't, you know, started off pretty early on and then just didn't come back for a real long time. Uh, Namor, who is by far the best defender, um, just popped in and out whenever he could put up with Doctor Strange's bullshit, basically. Uh but interestingly, none of the characters in this show were actually the comic book version of the Defenders. However, all of them were in an imprint called Marvel Knights. Yes. So I'm, I'm pushing up my uh -oh, nerd glasses okay. right now and saying technically. And so the, like you mentioned, the Defenders went through a lot of iterations. And eventually there was like Nighthawk, who was a right. leader for a while and sort of funding them and he hired a certain hero oh, for hire right. beyond the team no you're and that's back like luke beast valkyrie nighthawk and some other people that eluded me at the moment but luke was technically 
likely a defender because they no, can. no, you're, you're, I, I did forget about that. You, you are correct. Um, and for those who don't know, uh, again, one of the one of the amazing bits of defenders is that as as a title, it went into the deep weird of the Marvel continuity. And one of those is that Nighthawk we mentioned is a parallel universe character that ended up inside this universe. And he was originally very thinly a analog for Batman. And, and he just kind of stuck around. But he still was rich guy with equipment, beats people up. And, and then like his power was he was twice as strong at night. That was like literally it. And it was so lame that even other characters made fun of it. I mean, so it was it was not it was not good. Um, but the defenders just did some wild stuff, uh, and it was it. I I personally have a, a very soft soft spot for the defenders because it's it's the it's the it's the other Marvel team that no one likes to talk about. But they, they, I, I I dig Doctor Strange, I love Namor, and then from there, I grew, I mean, Hellcat. We talk about Hellcat was a longtime member of the defenders. Um, and she was married to the son of Satan, and the son of Satan was... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you know I have to have to do this. So for folks that may not know who the dynamic, incredible character is, that is the son of Satan. Can you tell us anything about the son of Satan? Other than the son of Satan, is he? So Damien Hellstrom is literally the son of Satan. Um, he is, a, he has rejected his father's teachings and basically is a traveling demonologist who also happens to have a pentagram tattoo on his chest for reasons. Uh, and then at one point in time decided that he wanted to actually serve his father. But then, uh, when Hellcat died, she was resurrected by Satan. It turns out that Damien was actually playing against his father to try to rescue Hellcat's soul to bring her back to the real world. And it's, Glorious. This is not even the weirdest part of the Defender stuff. Let me be straight up. <laughs> it gets weirder. Um, so it's frustrating when you see a show called Defenders and it's it's none of this. Just 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 none of it. But like I said, is is it's very close to an imprint that came around in the early two thousands called Marvel Knights, which had uh, some of these characters, not all of them. Uh, like like we talked about in Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones was a much later creation. Uh, but there was uh, at least a Luke Cage. Uh, it was a Punisher run. Um, there was an Iron Fist run. And basically it was meant to be kind of the quote-unquote adult, darker version of the Marvel Universe that was not part of the Marvel Universe and then later got pulled into the Marvel Universe. There's actually a really decent Black Panther Marvel Knights run um, uh, that, that I enjoyed by, by Christopher Priest. Uh, so that... And then they, then they did team up occasionally in like this, and it's kind of not a team way where they would get together to occasionally defeat a bigger in their scale threat. Uh, but putting that aside. So is, before you really get pertinent, I'm going okay. to tangent again. Is the other team that no one likes to talk about <clears throat> the most reviled team ever? Were you going to say Power Pack? No, Power Pack's amazing. Power Pack is great because it, 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 Power Pack is four kids who have been given special powers by a cute horse alien, and they occasionally cross over into X Men and have the bleakest, darkest adventures possible. Like when they're on themselves, they're fine, and then when they meet Wolverine, just things go bad real damn fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, no, no. Um, power package rate. But putting all this team stuff aside, the other thing that I personally find frustrating is that we've been talking about how we're not going to talk about Iron Fist. And then Defenders comes along, and it's basically Iron Fist season 1.5. Uh, because... But why would we not want to talk? No, why would we not want to not talk about Iron Fist? Well, we're going to have to. Did you see <laughs> in the show his sweet, sweet fighting moves and that power fist that they gave him? I mean, like, <clears throat> the graphics they put on that fist were like top-notch Kmart brand nightlights. So, um... One of the reasons why I chose episode three, we'll get into that in a little bit, but one of the reasons I chose is because all you need to know about Iron Fist is actually covered in that episode. So we actually really don't need to watch any of season one because literally everything you know is in the first two minutes of that episode. Uh, but the other reason why I didn't want to cover it aside from the fact that it's white guy culture appropriating a whole bunch of random Asian stuff is the fact that the fight choreography for a show that's supposed to be about a martial artist fighter is terrible. It's, it's objectively bad fight choreography if you're making a show that is a martial arts show and your martial arts are bad you have already failed out of the gate um and, and this show is better but it, it it points to what is sometimes a larger problem with shared superhero continuities like this especially particularly large ones is that when you start to build up a corner of it and that corner has certain aesthetics certain elements and then you bring in an outside element sometimes that can really overpower everything else like the other shows there's a really nice strong what we tend to call street level in marvel or in uh superhero design game design uh but it's it's you know it's it's all set in new york um the power levels are not too out there luke cage is kind of the top range of this particular scale uh, uh but the threats are all relatively human and understandable and they're all very much coming from, we talk about different slices of the noir approach. And then Iron Fist comes along and it's about, it's a show about literal dragons. And when you put them together, the literal dragon dragons and their literal ninjas end up really dominating the feel of the other three shows. And you see that really clearly here in the Defender season one. But wait. Daredevil had mysticism in ninjas. It, yeah, that's fair. And and, and I, I, I that's something that as I was rewatching this, I realized season two of Daredevil and beyond did start to kind of tip that up. So it's not as as egregious as I remember it when it when it crossed over. But literal dragons, Chris. Actual, actual dragons. <laughs> but what what if the actual dragons were just a metaphor that represents the pain that Danny suffered when his parents were killed by the hand or one of the fingers of the hand? So in short, the hand were fingering Danny <laughs> and causing him so much pain through that. And it produced dragons. Dragons. Um... In case anyone is curious, I do not like the casting of Iron Fist. I wrote a blog post about it. I was so frustrated. And I'm even more frustrated to know that one of the actors that were trying out for the role, they made the villain, I think, of the Iron Fist series who could fight, could, I think, gave representation for who the character was supposed mm -hmm. to be. And they did that yeah. instead. Yep. Um, and 
it's even more frustrating because now we're living in a world where things like Shangshu exists. And it's like, okay, this exists. We didn't we don't need this now. <laughs> you know, none of this needed to happen because we saw that there is a path forward where you could have done everything so much better. And again, the idea of dragons existing is not the problem I'm having here. Because again, Shang Tzu is a movie that exists. I mean, it's 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 weird Chinese mystical stuff, and that's cool. The problem is that when you have 75% gritty noir personal explorations of the cost of power, and then this other bit kind of gets shoved in, it it it, it just dominates the story. And, and again, like while Danny does not have a disproportionate amount of screen time, the screen time's about equal between four characters. What he the the the, the, the season literally he brings his problems from his season one into New York, and New York now has to deal with Danny's problems. So, in short, if I can summarize for all this <clears throat> in my own brain, is that you're saying a spoiled rich white dude who couldn't handle stuff himself had to go and like cause everyone else a whole bunch of shit and problems. No, I'm not talking about Batman Chris like my Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's... And again, this is... Iron Fist is Batman, is Iron Man, is Green Arrow. I mean, this is an established superhero trope. So again, it, it's not even the trope that bugs me. It, it, it's that... And I have read some Iron Fist comics. Iron Fist comics are not inherently bad. It, it's... There was a misfire that happens, like you said, with the casting and pretty much every level of Iron Fist 1, and those decisions cascaded into the Raider continuity. And and then the whole thing is dragged down. But I say all that to give context because there was some stuff to really enjoy about this season. I'm not going to say the whole thing is is awful to watch. I had a good time watching it, but I really need to set context for why, at least I, and it sounds like you as well, went into this already kind of not one to give this a fair shake. I remember watching it the first time and enjoying it somewhat. On the rewatch, I enjoyed it less than I did the first time I watched it. And I have not watched this since that first time, if that sort of helps folks understand how much it sort of didn't stick with me. And I've watched the other shows at least once or twice in passing. I was kind of bored the first time I watched this, to be honest. (laughs) And... Because I had to watch it closely, I found more stuff that I found interesting, but it's all bits and pieces. Uh, the, 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 the stuff doesn't hang together. And actually, let's, let's dive into specific episodes because I have some examples of that, and it starts in the first episode. So unless there's anything else you want to cover for the whole season. No, no. We, I, I deviated from the 616 with a, with a rant, I, which I would apologize for, but I'm To no be fair, the 616 breakdown is... Back. There's this name that doesn't have anything to do with it, so let's move on. <laughs> I didn't have much to begin with. Otherwise, I was going to keep talking about how the Defenders was is weirdly great and more people should read it. But anyway. Okay. Episode 1, The H-Word. While hunting agents of the Hand in Cambodia, Danny Rand, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, and Colleen Wing are told that the war they're fighting is actually taking place in New York City. There, Matt Murdock has given up his life as the vigilante daredevil and is working as a pro bono lawyer. He remains conflicted due to his feelings for Electra Nactios, who died fighting the hand in season two of Daredevil. 
Luke Cage has been in prison after the events of season one of Luke Cage has had his name cleared by Murdoch's ex-partner Foggy Nelson, returning to the streets of Harlem where police detective Misty Knight informs him that local kids have been getting involved with the mysterious business and ending up dead. After learning that all of her major organs are failing and she has a little time to live, a woman informs her colleagues to speed up their plans and subsequently watches with the resurrected Electra as a large earthquake tears through New York, felt by Randon Wing as they return and by private investigator Jessica Jones, and she discovers explosives while searching for a missing husband that an anonymous caller call, warned her to avoid. So, first problem, just so you can get from the summary, by design, you have four subplots in this show, and that's just one subplot too many for, for, for television. Television usually works best when you have an A, B, and C plot. And this has A, B, C, and D plots, and all of them have equal weight. So, you're cramming a lot of stuff into a very short space and nothing benefits as a result of this. Uh, the second problem I had, and this is purely me, I recognize, uh, but it's something that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Anytime the narrative is focused on one of the four characters, there is a cool thing and a bad thing happening. The cool thing, at least in this episode, is that they try to bring some elements of a color associated with the character onto the screen. Uh, Luke Cage tends to wear yellow and yellow objects are around him. Um, Jessica is wearing a purple checked shirt. Um, Derek, Matt has his red glasses uh, and Danny tends to wear green. So there's this moment of, of trying to use a color signifier for each character, which is nice. And then they slap a color layer on top of everything. So, you can't not see green or yellow or purple or red. It's so obvious. And when you're cutting between characters very quickly, the, the color filter is, is much more visible and jarring. They try to cover it in this episode with lots of kind of like shaky cam things to kind of mask the color change. But I noticed it halfway through this episode the first time and I was, and I just couldn't stop seeing it. And it became really frustrating because it's like, yes, I know it's purple. This is Jessica's scene now. I get it. You can also do that by literally having Jessica in the scene. You don't need to hit my, me over the head with this. And it, it, it struck me as like, hey, this color thing worked really well in Jessica's own season one, so let's do it all the time. So, a side question, I guess, for that that just occurred to me, since I I, re I realize they're all being represented by a specific color, and do you remember what the color that is associated with evil is equivalently in comics, or at least in the old days? Uh, purple, purple, well, off purple color, purple green, green for your villains. Well, primarily. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it's it's um, like primary versus secondary colors. Um, so purple and green tend to be used for villains. Red. Blue, white, yellow tend to be used for heroes. And interesting that Iron Fist is green. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's my whole thought. Iron Fist to be a um, So, I mean, there's... there's I, I like the idea of using color as a signifier. I talked about how much I enjoyed Jessica Jones. And I think if they had taken the color filter off, the actual cinematography was really interesting. Like, there's a great moment where we're cutting to Luke in his uh, apartment... Or no, it's in um, someone's apartment. But he's reaching for coffee, and there's a big yellow coffee can, um, and there's a yellow cup next to it, and you see his hand come in, and then he starts talking. So it's like a pop of color, 
orient you. Okay, now we're talking about Luke Cage. And it's when it's, it's subconscious, I think that works better because then your 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 subconscious brain is helping you to orient on who which which scene we're in. Because again, there's four here. It's a lot to keep track of. So I understand the instinct here. Yeah. But then the color filter on top of it starts to make it feel like we don't trust our audience to follow this. Um, and to be fair, there's also a fifth color, which is either the hand is white and the color has no filter when it is uh, the whole group together. Uh, and you can tell a little bit of a difference because the white filter versus the um, uh, no filter is that there are almost no shadows when you're having the hand moments. There, it, it's, it's, the lighting is oversaturated uh, and it's, it's almost uh, blinding at points. Uh, so when you look at the hand moments, uh, they're actually weirdly not a lot of shadows, which makes those scenes also a little weird. Uh, so, and this is another one where if you weren't following the other shows, I, I, I'm, in this case, I'm not as down on, if you weren't following other shows, you can't follow this one because this is clearly a miniseries that is meant to be a payoff for previous shows, right? So it, this is a different version of like the Arrowverse crossover moments. So, but it also does a good, good job of recapping the other shows and like just a brief snippet. It does. For instance, when you start with with Luke, when he's getting mm -hmm. out of prison, he does like a little breaks the handcuffs, sort of like reinforces what Luke's powers are to show you that he chose to be there the whole mm -hmm. time. And Jessica getting asked to do something for someone's case and her kind of refusing it. And Matt coming in, doing his law thing. Like those sort of help reinforce who the characters are. Even with Danny and Colleen, when they start with them having a fight somewhere along in the sewers to discover a plot that's ongoing. Right. So it gives you that five minute recap to get you up to speed to where you need to go. Yeah. And I really did dig that. It's one thing I, I will give this episode a lot of credit for. Um, but again, when you're breaking this down, each show functionally has 15 minutes to recap and get the plot going. And that's not, and I think I'm being generous there because it's also a fair amount of, of, of Alexandra and hands plot gets set up. So it's really closer to 10 minutes for each of the characters and 10 minutes for the villains to give it, to fill this episode out. Uh, so while it's helpful, it also makes this whole first episode feel like nothing but recap and setup. Nothing really happens until the earthquake at the very end of this episode. So I see that, but at the same time, it also reinforces who the characters are and it sets up who our primary protagonist's sidekicks are. Like you have um, Trish and Jessica together for a quick mm -hmm. snippet scene. You have Matt and Karen. You have Luke and Misty. And then you get Foggy, who is no longer associated with Matt, but is still kind of there, sort of coming in and getting a bond with Luke. Right, we're getting right everyone's away. supporting cast going, you know. And you're reinforcing those relationships and getting like a little banter. So when they come back later, you have a, t uh, a hook for them and you may care a little bit about them and go hey that's the guy that helped him get out of jail or hey that's the night nurse who he had sex with on a table oh my god um no yeah i mean i, it, I yeah and be clear it's like there wasn't an elegant way around this right just by the nature of what we're doing here um and the fact is that punisher came after this, but even then they don't touch on any of the, the Punisher stuff, which also happens in Do a Daredevil. Um, so, I mean, like they should have because oh, did they? 
if not for the Punisher, there would be no Daredevil. No, I'm saying they should oh, have yeah. because the Punisher is the reason Daredevil's not dead. Right, right. But because the, the Punisher sniped just and, and like you know um the big the bigger the things that are are moving pieces like uh, Electra, they do spend more time establishing who she is, why she matters to Matt. Uh, so I mean I. I I'm not mad at the structure, but it's more I bring it up because it is indicative of kind of an impossible task, which is that they set up all these things to converge in this one moment, and they still kept the roughly hour-long miniseries structure. And it's 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 bursting at the seams now. Before, what we're kind of like interesting, cool, kind of weaving in and out nods. Now it's the okay, we have to find a way to balance us all and make sure the audience is keeping track of it all. And so I understand the instinct of maybe the color filter needs to be that because there's so much going on that you know, we, we have to make sure the audience is absolutely warps and on board. So, I mean, I'm not, none of these decisions in isolation, I disagree with. It's just the, the combination shows that this was a, a project that kind of was starting to give under its own weight. It was something that became massively successful and I think ended up just like, okay, no, well now we have to do this thing because this is what everyone's expecting us to do. And it's clear that there was no thought of how we were going to get to here. Um, so like, because we didn't see the hand at all in, in Daredevil season one. So it's very clear. It's like, okay, we have to build up our mutual antagonists. So let's bring up the hand, which to be fair, the hand was traditionally a, 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 well, a Daredevil and an Iron Fist villain. So it's not a, a, a stretch. Um, the hand showed up in both those comics. I think, I think the hand were in one episode of season one, with when Stick showed up and they were. So this is an episode I don't think we watched, which is one of the, I guess the issues for doing it how we're doing. And there was this, the child that Stick was trying to either kill or save, and I think the hand were part of the antagonist. Well, okay, that's fair. And also, I did know that um, Madame Gao did show up like, in season one briefly. Um. So a little fuzzy, but I, I think they were there briefly, but you don't, you don't have like daredevil battling the hand in daredevil's own like black stocking suit. Right. I think they needed for him to uh, suit up. first. And also um, the ties to uh, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are much more nebulous. Um, it's as much more like, Oh yeah. And also the hand control crime in Harlem too. Sure. You know, that, that, that's kind of how it feels at this point. Um, but when, this is more in episode three, but Jessica not being a part of this overall structure is something that to Luke Show's credit, they actually lean into. It's like Jessica's not part of this, this overall scheme, and she becomes an interesting viewpoint character for the rest of the, uh, the, the audience to go, okay, what really is going on? So anything, anything else about uh, the H word? Uh, nah, I think that's it. I think I have more stuff. For yeah, episode three, I think is where we're spending all of our time. Uh, worst behavior. Months ago, the hand acquired the ancient weapon Black Sky, the body of Electra, and used the last of their resources to resurrect her. Under Alexandra's tutelage, the Black Sky was prepared to fight as a weapon against the hand's enemies. Now Jones dismisses Murdoch's help, but he becomes interested in her case and begins investigating it himself. Cage tells his girlfriend Claire Temple about his fight with Rand, whom she knows because of course she fucking knows. Temple arranges a meeting between the two, hoping that they can work together to fight the hands. 
but they clash over their respective backgrounds. Inspired by some of Cage's comments, Rand decides to take a different approach and uses corporate influence to find the Hand's new friends at Midland Circle. Cage visits the mother of one of the local kids the Hand has hired, while Jones investigates Raymond's job. They also learn of a connection to Midland Circle. Cage arrives there to help Rand fight the Hand, soon followed by Jones and Murdoch. They are attacked by Black Sky, but Rand drives her off. So this is the episode where the threads are coming together. I mean, it really... The little bit that happens in, season, in episode two also gets kind of recapped in this one, so you really didn't need to watch episode two. Um, and but this is more the hands plan is starting to come together. We we get more about who Alexandra is and how this all ties together. Uh, and the next episode we'll we'll talk more about Claire, but but we're starting to see Claire as glue is starting to get a little ridiculous. <laughs> get even more ridiculous later. Uh, but this is one thing I liked about this episode is this episode did some made a good decision in terms of starting off by pairing characters rather than shoving them all together right off the bat. Having Jessica and Matt talk and it's Luke fun. and Danny talk was a good choice, especially the Luke and Danny conversation. I can say on the whole, all the three that we watched, this is my favorite mm-hmm. one. Like this felt like what they should have been doing by the second Agreed. episode and it shouldn't have been the third episode. I think that would have given them an extra boost in momentum that they were obviously lacking based on mm-hmm. the and, and even though I have huge problems with, with Danny Rand, the immortal iron fist, him being in a scene with Luke elevates that character. Like the one thing I liked about this, cause you're absolutely right is the whole first season, it was almost a meme where it's like, Danny, Danny Rand's full name was, I'm Danny Rand, the Immortal Iron Fist. He would say it all the time. And Luke is the first character, but not by far the last, who starts to go, really? <laughs> and, and make fun of that. It's like, people don't talk that way. You know? <laughs> um, and... Uh, it was interesting to, I mean, obviously you to put those two together because they're the heroes for hire. But when you look at those characters and how they developed in the respective shows and then put them together, you get the logical conclusion, which is there is no way they would talk to each other. They have nothing to talk about. But you do have that moment of, again, Claire and... Colleen talking and Claire's like, oh yeah, I, I know them and I know that. And Claire starts to rattle off how she knows these people. And it's just like, it, it, it's a weird moment of, yeah, this doesn't really make sense when you say it out loud, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, the fact that Claire knows about dragons was a little bit yes. off-putting. Like, really? Really? And and again, it's it's the because she was in Iron Fist, her response is, yeah, when you bring up dragons, I guess it sounds a little weird. Whereas, a bit of a spoiler for the next episode, when Jessica hears about it, she's like, wait, dragons? Which is the correct response. (laughs) (laughs) But I also really dug Jessica and Matt together because you have two really obsessed people who do not handle working with others well in the same room. 
and neither of them likes asking for help and neither of the ultimately both of them do part but there's a moment where both of them are kind of trying to ask the other for help and neither of them is biting and it ends up becoming just a, they put up walls against each other but you know Jessica's in jail and Matt is her lawyer trying to get her out so they can't just leave the situation until Matt, so she actually is told, oh, by the way, no one's pressing charges, you can just go. And then she pretty much immediately takes that exit. But that moment where it looks like they have to work together, it's so clear they're both really uncomfortable. And it's also interesting to know that in the 616 version, one of the people that Jessica has a crush on is really So seeing them in the same, yeah. Uh, if I remember right, it was... Daredevil, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and well, I knew Spider Man because she was in high school with Peter Parker. Yeah, which is a brilliant record. And Daredevil was one of, yeah, yeah. And the fact that she wakes up from one of her comas when Galactus attacks Earth, like that <laughs> dates that dates when that instance was. But no, Daredevil was one, so it was interesting to see them and Daredevil together to see if they was going to try to make some sort of weird. Um, God, I don't even know how many people that would be, but Jessica, Matt, Misty, Luke, and because in the comics also Danny and Misty are together. Right. And Misty, and then you throw in Claire from the Netflix verse, and all of them in those two universes are in relationships in some form or another. It, it is some kind of non Euclidean shape. <laughs> so, yeah. But and and um, the other thing that struck me as weird, I guess, is that we've talked before already about how this is kind of paced oddly, how they kind of should have gotten to this point. So it's odd to see the episode spends a really long time about Electra, right? Like there's this. The way it read to me was the writers were not sure the audience would be on board with a person being resurrected. And I hate to go back to this well, but I want to reiterate, this is a show about has literal dragons in it. You know, it, it seems like I'm watching a superhero show. Someone coming back from the dead, that shouldn't be a big stretch for most audience. Mostly people watching this show, but they spend a lot of time with Alexandra and Electra's relationship. That's not really a relationship. There's like a Lazarus pit in every in every house, right? I mean, this is this is this is basically the Lazarus pit. It's just a Lazarus coffin with blood because that's what you do with evil coffins. You put blood into it. That's just science. All right, since, since we're on Electra, let's let's go ahead and let's talk about the hand a little bit, or whatever this iteration of the hand is. They're effectively immortal right. beings, but. Alexandra is dying of some sort of blood mm -hmm. disease. They have the ability to resurrect Electra, but apparently not heal Alexandra. Right. And during their immortal existences, they have not acquired a massive army of any kind. They have the hand, you know, a couple people. They don't have massive wealth at all. They're stealing from the Rand Corporation now. Yeah. And they seem to have no political influence or actual power. Right. So they're, in fact, a second or third rate aim without technology. The only one I will push back on is why they haven't acquired an army, because 
as we saw from the training sequence, they're, they have no problem throwing well-trained ninjas at someone else and having them be murdered just to prove a point. So it's probably why they don't have a massive army. <laughs> and how well has that Clearly worked? Clearly not very, because it's been thousands of years. And so I, I don't know if it's like a budgetary constraint, bad writing, but something about the hand just does not work. It shouldn't have been the hand. It should have just been someone else or like one rogue agent. Like it could have been one of the fingers of that. It could have been the thumb that Alexandra was a thumb and she had her own plan and she stole some resources from the greater hand and is now doing this. Thing. Right. That would have helped bring the scope down instead of trying to make this big, massive thing. And all they're doing is blowing up New York. It, and the, another problem that comes up is, um, and this is more of a problem inherent to Iron Fist and to a larger degree, some parts of Marvel continuity as a whole, but episode one, season one, Iron Fist, there's this magical land nobody's heard of. Danny accidentally crashes into it. That's the other thing about episode three is that the Danny's history is pretty much recapped into it and Luke treats it with like, that's dumb, which is great. Uh, but Danny's family crashes and dies. He survives. He's trained by the people of Kunlun. He's the, the Iron Fist. And then he leaves, which is something that nobody in Kunlun has ever done. So he is the only person, aside from the people who've been with him, who know what Kunlun is. Cut to the defenders. Everybody knows where this place is. <laughs> the Hand knows about it. Stick knows about it. Everybody knows about this mystical place that no one's heard of before. It, it's one thing that over time secret places become revealed and maybe other people learn about them, but this all happened in the course of like basically two weeks in the continuity of the series. I, you know what? I, I will give them a retcon. What happened? Here we go. Is that uh, one of the members of the hand were there. It was a ninja with a cell phone that called, that called the thumb Alexandra and she called everybody else and told them cell phones. Boom. Uh, Okay, sure. <laughs> you know what? That works is better than anything else. Hey, that works just as well as this series does for anything. Speaking they do of stuff this. that makes no sense, um, I also want to talk about comic books' <laughs> love of how businesses work. <laughs> because you can't be the CEO and just not show up to work for years at a time. <laughs> That's not how that works. Bruce Wayne showed us that is not true. You have a stand-in, or we can even go with the MCU for, you have a Pepper Potts that does all the daily work, and you hang out in your lab, and you oh, build see, That's stuff. fine, because we have a CEO, it's Pepper Potts, but Danny's like, I am the CEO of Rand Industries. It's like, no, you're not. You might be the majority shareholder, but you're not the officer of anything, because you definitely showed up to work. You didn't know to tie until episode three. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe what it was is that because he was raised in Kunlung, he doesn't understand how businesses work. He doesn't know that he's not the CEO, but everyone knows that he is a key stakeholder. And you know what? That's... And he comes in and says, I am CEO. And they go, okay, CEO, what would you like to that, do? That's actually the only way I can understand this final scene. In this ep- well, not the final scene, but the, 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 the boardroom scene in this episode um, is because he's like, I am business person. I own business. I'll put on a tie and I'll walk into rival business 
beating and just threaten them right in the middle of the meeting and this will go fine. And to have Alexandra come in and say, no, baby, shh, shh, calm down. I actually dug back. It's like, yeah, Danny has no idea what he's doing. He's business cat, right? He just basically sits at the desk and pushes stuff off. That's what he does. <laughs> but he's Danny Rand, oh, the immortal fist. iron fist. His business card is huge. Danny Rand, the immortal iron fist, CEO of Rand Industries. That's just, it's, it's a massive business card. <laughs> <laughs> but now, all the joking aside about our CEO. It was nice to see that he took something that Luke had said, like another right. character saying, Hey, you're doing all this stuff. Your approach is all wrong. Like you've got these other resources. Why aren't you right. using them to go? Oh, I, I never thought of that. And then goes to do it. Something people have told Batman. Yeah, Batman still goes around. People, people, people told Tony Stark, you know, I mean, it's, so it's, I'm not, it's funny, like, I actually like the Defenders season one better than Iron Fist in the regard the fact that Danny Rand is portrayed as not understanding the situation with Bully. He's shown as, like, super competent in season one of Iron Fist, and the rest of the show is not competent, so it's, it's, it's another reason why it struggles. This one is, like, white dude comes in and is like, I, I've succeeded at everything so far, so I want to succeed at this, and just doesn't. It is actually interesting to watch and have other characters point that out and go, no, that's not how this works. So well, there was a lot going on in the boardroom. It was nice to see. Uh, hate, I, I don't want to use the word fight with, with Danny Rand, but doing that thing that he does and then having Luke come in and watch the pair of them combat like all these people in the room. And you get in the glimpse of Rand hiding behind Luke when people open machine gun fire. Yes. Go, that nice moment of synchronicity almost and it not quite the Avengers style for like the opening of Avengers two, where you get to see them operate as a team. No, I'm, I, I mean, we, jo we we're joking about this, but you're absolutely right. Um, that moment, it's ridiculous. It, it's the, um, Hey, everyone here is a shareholder, but also a ninja. And it's like, but at this point in time, you have to buy into this concept, right? Otherwise the, sh the show is just not going to work at all. And I think, that Alexander had actually, this is me giving her kudos, had laid a trap, and that the person who had researched the files in either intentionally or unintentionally alerted them, and they had rigged that room for Danny to come. Okay. Honestly, I could say because because she, we have established she is obsessed with the Iron Fist specifically. So, okay. You know what? I'll, I'll actually buy that. Else shows up, it just throws off her plans. So it's a bunch of ninjas there with just blank sheets of paper pretending to be doing a business meeting until he shows up. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't, as a non executive sitting in a boardroom myself, I would have envisioned that executives are not that gung ho and hua, at least not all of them, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Maybe if I was a member of an evil corporation or like a member of the serpent society and I had benefits and a full 401k package to be a super villain, I would be like that. Who knows? Uh, shout out to a podcast that no one's heard yet. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, this show and these jokes are for us. If anyone else gets them, really I'm is. happy they're here to laugh along. Um, but you're right. I mean, and that's one thing that's, it's I like about this episode is because this feels like what the whole show should have been. Frankly, um, you, you pair people off. 
you put them in situations that allow them to showcase their abilities and let the plots weave around. Because when you, when you pair the characters off, then you can reduce the amount of subplots that are going on. But also, you get more interesting dynamics because you could say, okay, this is what, like I said, this is Jessica and Matt together, or like, you know, we see Luke and, Ray and Danny together. They hate each other and now they're fighting together. And so, like, that, that's an interesting moment. And, um, Frankly, you're right. It was just cool to have Luke stand there as a wall and Danny duck behind him before jumping out and punching somebody. Like that's a neat moment. And that's something that television and movies can do really well. Um it, it it's that science sense of uh everything kind of tying together. And then Jessica and Matt separately kind of getting drawn into this situation, and then we have all four of them. Yes, they fight in the hallway because we have now reached peak hallway fight scene. Homage. No, no, come on, that's that's not even like the uh. You want the the uh is when he <laughs> grabs her scarf and puts it over his head, and then parkours parkours up all the floors and Jessica rides an elevator. Like that is that is just peak. Mwah, ugh. And and the. Jessica, Jane asked question of, why do you need my scarf? I'm not, I'm not Murdoch. I'm mysterious. It's, but it's, it's, I actually dug that because, again, Jessica and Luke are good grounded perspectives to the slightly more outre characters of Matt and Danny. They can look at these respective weird situations and go, but really, and in a way that the audience can kind of really connect to, which I, which I, I think is really cool and interesting. Um, and this episode is what this potential of this show could have been. It, it, it's, it's one of my favorites of the season because it's like, I got this point and say, like, okay, you know, a couple of rough episodes, but maybe this show's going to be good. It wasn't, but I had hopes at this point. <laughs> no, like, this episode and even part of the ones after it should have been the entire heart of the show for if you have eight episodes at least five of them just should have been that and then you have your opening yeah. where you sort of meet everybody and then you have a few that are sort of meh but ending strong like right frustrating um and what's particularly frustrating is we end this episode four of them are together they're getting ready to have a fight and then we cut to the next episode did you have anything more to say about this before we go into that? Um, just that I like Jessica have pulling Matt aside when they're all together and he refuses to take off the scarf. Or am I, no, or am I jumping to the next episode, I think, actually? I think you're jumping to the next episode, yeah. Disregard. All right. But so Iron Fist before... beating a katana with his fist? Mm. It was cool, but also weird, right? Didn't quite make sense. Why, why, why would the katana break on Iron Fist but not on Luke's skin? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Rail Dragon, episode four. After the four of them get together and they're ready to fight, we cut to Rand, Cage, Jones, and Murdoch hiding in a restaurant. <laughs> uh, they all introduce each other, kind of, uh, and Rand proposes they work together as a team to defeat the hands, but Murdoch is unwilling to get involved and Jones leaves. Stick escapes from the hand and finds the group, having already known Murdoch in the first two seasons of Red Devil and knowing of Rand in the first season of Iron Fist. 
He explains that a long time ago, the elders of Kunlun came together to study the healing powers of Ki, but five among them wished to use this power to live forever and were cast out. They became the five fingers of the hand and include Alexandra, who's gone by many names through the centuries, Madame Gal, Sawande, who's been recruiting the Harlem kids, Marakama, and the recently deceased Bakudo. Now the hand has defeated all that opposed them except for a stick in the iron fist. Alexandra arrives and offers to spare New York if Rand leaves with her, since their plan requires the Iron Fist, but he rejects her offer. Jones realizes the Raymond family is still in danger and returns to help as Black Sky attacks. And as I mentioned, I joked about the, the kind of jarring transition. The one thing I actually liked about this episode is we now have the four of them sitting around a table and talking. And this is stuff like you're talking about, like Jessica pointing out why are you wearing a scarf? That's ridiculous. And that not having a good answer. Um, Stick trying to weasel his way into the group and Matt going, no, don't trust this guy. They're starting to compare information from their respective shows and some interesting conversations. Like, you know, for a while, Matt's like, Matt plays the card he always plays, which is, I hide my identity to protect those I love. And it looks like, that's dumb. <laughs> looks wrong on the show, really, is to call people on their bullshit, and I'm here for it. <laughs> and also, Jessica being like, listen, I am, this is above my pay grade, I'm out. And she just fucks off for like 20 minutes of the episode. But before she does that, though, you have her going to Matt saying... I know that you're the devil of Hell's Kitchen, and these two are like a second away from figuring it out because you're jumping all around everywhere you go. Right. What are you doing? And like that, just grounding, like Matt is trying to go for our superhero approach and her grounding him into like, we're not in that show. This is a show that we're in where right. that doesn't matter as much. Right, but I, one thing I liked about it is that it would have been easy to write Jessica as just being in way over her head. And instead... What results from this episode specifically is her going, no, I'm actually five steps ahead of you jerks. It's just that none of the stuff you're talking about matters to me. So Jessica could actually be well ahead of the whole game, but that's not where her interests lie. It's only when she does the comparing all of the signatures to realize that Alexandra has the same handwriting throughout centuries that she starts to go, okay, maybe I do need to step in and help out with this. And then she comes back. And again, even then she's like, comes in with this, just there's a fight happening. She walks in the middle of the fight with this, a massive amount of swagger and goes, Hey, who missed me? I mean, it's like, she just zero fucks. It's like, I obviously you all love me, accept it. And it's like, yes, I do. You're right. <laughs> now the, the swagger comes from the fact that she will say, cause it's superheroes threw a car into the middle of their fight momentarily dispatching their opponent like that that and that's another thing that was weirdly faithful about this show and particularly this episode um something we talked about a little bit i don't think we dug into is luke cage and jessica jones share a primary special ability they both have super strength um we've talked about luke's comic strength is much higher than jessica's but at the end of the day, they have the same super strength. What's interesting is that Jessica's super strength is always portrayed through kind of cinematography tricks. We don't see her lifting things or throwing people around all that much. Usually it's stuff like 
She can punch through a wall. She can knock down a door. She can throw a car. But we don't see her actually taking the action usually. Like even when she lifts the back of a car, we see her standing behind the car and then the car lifting up. We see Luke Cage actively engaging in acts of strength in his show. And when we get to this show, those rules are still in place. A car comes through a wall. Jessica steps in after it. We recognize Jessica through the car. Mm-hmm. But Luke picks up a guy and throws him into a wall in the fight scene in the boardroom last episode. So it's interesting that each show's directorial choices and how they present superpowers are staying intact inside of this show. I think some of that is budgetary and writing. Like from the budgetary aspects, it is cheaper for them to put a harness on a stunt person and have Luke throw that stunt person than Mm -hmm. it is for them to physically put in like equivalent equivalents of the same to have someone throw a car like right. that is definitely more expensive but also for the show's perspective they jessica would be the strongest the physical strongest member of the party like mm-hmm. she would be in like the tons range while luke while has super strength his primary aspect is going to be his invulnerability so like they are showed he has super strength but it's usually not as strong as jessica's but jessica on the other hand cannot take bullets how luke could take bullets Right. So it's a way to sort of balance out your team of people. But then, unfortunately, you have Iron Fist and, Darede- and Daredevil, who seem to have an I- almost identical skill set, except Iron Fist has, like, Kmart lights on his fist occasionally. Right. That was kind of the, the other point, is that um, you mentioned uh, the, the, the parkour stuff, and that was something that was kind of distinctive to Daredevil specifically. But then... Iron Fist starts to incorporate some of that into his presentation in the fight scenes. And so it's like some of what makes MASH special is lost. But again, you have two characters that are similar power set here. And it was interesting to see that, because I think at this point, to be honest, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage were more popular than Iron Fist. So it's like, okay, we want to make sure they still have some protection because we know they have new seasons coming up. Make sure that people are still invested in those characters to a degree. We don't know if we're going to get another season of Iron Fist. They did, but they didn't know. I don't think at the time. Uh, but it was it was again just this little interesting bits, but also like, um, and this is where I lost it with the color filters, is because I was on board. Was like, okay, maybe this is until they get together, and they're all together, and all the color filters go away. And there's a nice touch in the actual um, scene in the restaurant. There's some really interesting touches. Like Matt generally stood with his back to the window and there was a red neon light that came to the window. So he was usually silhouetted by red as he was talking and betraying himself. Uh, Jessica was sit, was sat by the back door. There was a purple light on a device in the kitchen that you could see through the door that would occasionally show up in screen when she was on screen. Um, Luke had the kind of yellow halogen lights over top of him as he sat near the center uh, by the table. Um, and then as since Danny was a little more in shadow, that halogen kind of faded to green. And so when you look at him, there's kind of a, a more of a greenish tint to it. So that was a really subtle, interesting way of doing that to kind of continue to frame those color moments. But then when Jessica leaves, immediately the purple filter comes back as she walks out in the street. And it's just like, oh. and the worst part is that Luke is also in the scene. So you now have this moment of like, look at Jessica in the scene, but this is really Jessica's scene. So now you have the color dictating who's the narrative lead in each of these scenes. Which is kind of a weird choice for a team aesthetic, right? I, I get like, that, but at the same time, if we're looking 
at the scene itself, it isn't Luke being an active part of that scene. Luke is a passive part trying to keep her as part of the team, while Jessica's yeah, yeah. act minimum is for her to leave to go to do something else. No, I don't disagree with the fact that it's her scene. Yeah. It's more the fact that the show needs to tell me that. I mean, it's so clearly her scene. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's like, I get it. She's the one leaving. She's the one doing the talking. Yes, she's the narrative lead. Why is the filter telling me that she's the narrative lead as well? It was, again, it, that's where I was like, okay, I'm just very frustrated with this. And I recognize it's that back, this is just me. what you first said. Mm -hmm. It's the, they don't have faith or trust that the audience is able to keep up. Right. Right. Um. So one thing we haven't talked about a lot, actually, uh, is Alexandra as a character. And honestly, Sigourney Weaver. Um, I was surprised to see Sigourney Weaver in this. It, she did not strike me as an actor who would, A, be in a Marvel thing, period, but B, in a, a television Marvel thing. It was an interesting moment of going, hey, okay, so some big name people are actually interested in this. But it was such a weird choice to me. Am I wrong in that? Well, we, we realized that Sigourney Weaver was in Paul, right? Do you remember well, Paul? Okay. No. And but... she was in Cabin in the Woods. Okay, I do remember Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. And I can't remember if this happened. I think this happened after Captain America Winter Soldier. So she would have seen Robert Redford in a Marvel movie. Okay. All right. That's fair. I, and honestly, as I was just like, is, it, is it just a paycheck? Which... Does she like have a drug habit she needs to pay off? I mean, I, you know, sometimes you just need the cash. I get it, but. And I think part of it is, as an actor, if you're not, I'm not saying she is or isn't up on her Marvel Comics knowledge. You may not know like which of these is going to be the best thing for you to be in. It's the same reason uh, I think like Will Smith turned down being in The Matrix. Sean Connery turned down being in the Lord of the Rings movie. So you're right. you're gambling with what roles you're going to take, and unfortunately, she took this. I mean, I got this fair, but it was also just <clears throat> she brings. Let, let, let me step back. I have a lot of respect for Courtney Weaver as an actress. Mm -hmm. I, I think she's fantastic. Um, a lot of her past. 10-ish years has been relatively dramatic. I mean, she yes, she did Aliens, she did Aliens. She was fantastic in those. Um, but her days of doing action stuff is largely gone. So it was interesting to see her come back to more, more action-oriented things. And, and either she does some action stuff or she has some good body doubles. I'm not sure which. <clears throat> Probably the latter. But the point is, she's not a character who's going to not be in action in this show. Uh, but there was clearly a kind of gravitas of her realizing she was at the end of her life as an immortal being that I think maybe she was drawn to that she kept trying to inject into the performance, but none of the rest of the show seemed interested in actually exploring that. She was elevating material that nobody else was interested in trying to propel. And so you had these moments of her, acting her heart out with Electra, and Misha goes, okay, cool, but also now back to more fight scenes. Right. Or her trying to put in an edge of urgency when she's talking to the whole team together 
and the show's going, and that's cool, but also we're going to throw a card through a wall now. Um, so it felt like she would have been, she would have been a really good choice for one of the other seasons of this. Like if it had been a slightly more grounded season where there wasn't so much happening, it would have been really interesting to explore this immortal person who's desperate to hang on to life and is willing to tear down thousands of years of planning just for an extra gasp and try and stick around. And I think she could have done something really cool with that, but it gets lost in the kind of cacophony of the rest of the show. Agreed. I can totally see that. Um, but I also think that goes back to a lack of faith in who your audience is. You yeah. think that they only just want another fight scene. Yeah. And I, and I feel if I remember correctly, for me, at least this was kind of the turning point for this whole netiverse, if you will, um, where it does become much more fight scene oriented and the, 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 the writing gets a little flatter. Um, I think things become frankly less interesting because they're up to this point, there was some interesting character drama. Sometimes it wasn't always executed well. Sometimes it was a couple episodes too long. I'm not going to say it was perfect, but there was an interest in exploring these people's characters. And then around this point, it feels like the whole collection of them pivots to exploring them as heroes rather than as characters. That that was so nicely said. I think we could pretty much end on that one. Cool. So we're done with this. We never have to speak of this again. No. Um, <laughs> no. Now we play the game. The game. You forgot right. about the, the game, game that you? you've rigged online. Yes. So put out for our followers if they wanted to. They could vote about which one of us gets to choose first. And unfortunately, Eddie lost, and they chose me to be the first person to make the pick. So I, right. I thank you. The five people I think that voted, I, I will I will forever cherish you and your your clicks on Twitter. Um, but I think before we dive into it, we should talk about potential like roles that a team would have. And we're not yeah. going to necessarily fill all the roles, but just give folks an idea of what we're going for. Like yeah. a super team potentially have a leader, a blaster, like a tech or brains person, a powerhouse, a covert op of some kind, and usually like a wild card. So anywhere from a four fantastic four up to i think the justice society had like 12 members at one point in time but for us we'll probably be anywhere from like that four to six range depending on how many seasons how many arcs we do this season okay sum it up yeah and are we starting here or are we backtracking we're starting here this is our first pick for the draft okay but right. we we'll i guess we'll be nice and we'll, we'll just pick team members right now and we'll assign them to their roles at the very last so you okay. don't have to say, I choose so-and-so, and they are my leader, and I hope that no one better comes along. Right, okay. If you want to play that hardcore, we can, but that's like... No, 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 uh, God, no. I, that requires way too much more forward planning than I possibly have in me. That's like, a, that's a, a no re-rolls games. Like, there are no spins, there are no edges. <laughs> We're just playing it raw, where you die of wow. dysentery. Your power so, set is you can fly through butter. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's what you rolled. <laughs> So this is actually really hard. Is there are two people I really want and only get one of them. But at the end of the day, I am going to have to go with my man, Luke Cage, is, is my mm -hmm. pick. Yeah, Barely, I was, but Luke. I, I was worried that was what you were going to take. Um, and so to clarify, it's any character we've seen so far. No, no, it's the protagonist. Oh, it has to be the protagonist. Okay, so, so the, 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 the five, does Danny Rand count as a protagonist? 
Danny Ray and the Immortal Iron Fist is not counts as a protagonist because we didn't do a Danny Ray and the Immortal Iron Fist show. <laughs> so, he, he, so for our perspective, and I'm behind this, he is a supporting character in The Defenders. Yes, at best. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I completely agree with you. Um, then I'm going to take Jessica Jones. That was my second pick. It was, it was hard. It was... I, I was like, there's only two strength people on the board. I got to take one before the other one disappears. Tactically, I've got to go with that one. <laughs> uh, my third pick, surprising people, if it ever had gotten to there, would have been the Punisher instead of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Because really? Frank, Frank Castle can clear a room. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I mean, but, but if you take Daredevil, you get free Catholic guilt. Ooh, ooh, that that is a superpower I do not want. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Um, our first picks, uh, Luke Cage for Chris's team, Jessica Jones for my team. And we'll see how this evolves uh, next time, which is... So next season, we will leave the Netiverse and instead go to the Arrowverse. There's no explanation mark, but I added extra oomph emphasis because it's the first time we said it. Right. But... Anyone would go and start with Arrow because that is the easy route. Right. And instead, I threw Eddie a curveball, and we're starting with the show that would be the originator of the entire Arrowverse. Smallville. I have not seen Smallville since Smallville was out. And we'll be going with Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot Season 1, Episode 6, Hourglass, and rounding out our trip into nostalgia of Smallville with Season 1, Episode 21, Tempest. I have watched ahead a little bit. Be prepared for 2001 CGI is all I got to say. <laughs> I like bad sci-fi shows. So I'll, be, I'll be fine. Yeah, honestly... It's drama that I'm concerned about, but I'll see what I get there. Uh, there are... I haven't watched all of it, but there's some bits that, that are starting to give me reminders of our first season. So in some ways, it's a it's a it's a interesting look back at how uh, we started this whole thing. Uh, and but in the meantime, I people want to ask you. Go ahead. I promise our fans, I will not do a large shout of "Somebody Save Me" at the start of next episode, which is the theme song to Smallville. As tempting as I know you all want me to, even with my my voice, so I have a coal to scream out into your earbuds somebody save me i will not do that i've oh, chosen a so much grunge so much grunge <laughs> uh, if people wanted to ask you why we're starting with smallville where would they find you online you can find me on social media currently twitter i think still exists at darker underscore hue i've also got a mastodon account i think is how they say it um mm -hmm. with 30 followers and zero posts from me I don't know what it is off the top of my head, so you'll have to look for me. Or you can find me in the Dark Who Discord, which would be easier, where I spend most of my time harassing Eddie and other people with ideas about superhero shows and constant news updates about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you can find me doing much the same thing also in the Dark Who Discord. Um, you can also, my website, punchday.com, is the best way to find out at any point in time how to contact me. That was, I'll just update that. It's just much easier that way. Um, so... Come, come talk to us. Come tell us what you think about uh, what, the metaverse and uh, uh, how that all panned out. And otherwise, we will catch you next time. Catch you later. Peace. Bye.